0: Thank you very much, praise team. That was wonderful. It's neat the ways that God's already showed up this morning. When Arnie said to me earlier, I was like, I can't really, not too many songs that you can think of regarding favoritism. The first song that popped in my head was Let the Weak Say I Am Poor. I didn't want to say it in case you didn't think of it, but of course it's there on the list. Uh, and I, I, so I thought that was wonderful. And then he's like, so I was on, I'm just coming back from vacation. So I didn't look at the order of service or anything like that. I didn't send out a scripture, which is, I apologize. But the one you picked was just so perfect because it's talking about that we are God's masterpiece. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. And there's uh, something else that I'll share with you in a minute that God showed up with, which is. It's just so much fun. So, like I said, I just got back from vacation. Um, We went to Cuba, uh, which was a really weird decision to go to Cuba in July, but we were actually planning on going to the East Coast, but I'm a Dutchman, and when I find a good deal, I get really excited about it, and so we found a deal that was actually cheaper for us to go to an all-inclusive in Cuba for a week than it would have been to go to the East Coast, and so when you factor in not having to cook or clean or drive anywhere except the airport or plan anything, like, that was, that was easy. That was an easy decision. We were celebrating our anniversary. Chantal and I were celebrated on the, on the 7th. We celebrated our 16th anniversary, so we wanted to, we wanted to do something, and uh, yeah, we went to Cuba really, really hot like really hot, um, so yeah. If, if you're going to go to Cuba, do it, but go go like November to March or something like that. That was, that was one of the struggles I had. Another one of the struggles I had was tipping. I kind of, I just like I didn't know what was expected of me. I was. Like When we went to Dominican when we were newly mar- married, but I was twenty, and i didn 't think of anyone else at the time, so I just didn't tip I just didn't tip anywhere or anytime and um that that was me back then. but now i 'm just like, okay like what do I have to do like i don't do I have to give every single person a dollar, two dollars, five dollars anytime anyone does anything and I just like oh, I was it was just. I don't know why it was stressing me out so much, but it just, it just, just bugged me. Uh, But one of the fun things actually was Spanish. And like, I don't really, I don't speak Spanish, but I got to try to have conversations with people in Spanish. And uh, as the week progressed, I'm able to have longer and longer conversations and interactions in Spanish. And, and that was, that was wonderful. One of the people that really helped me along with this was a the activities director there, Leonardo. And we had a, had a great conversation with Leonardo regarding Cuban history and their economy and just so many different things like this. And he really helped me to understand the economy of Cuba and how helpful it is when we tip. And he, he didn't explain it like that. He just explained how their financial system worked but through that, I was able to see how beneficial it was. And the next morning, as I was, I was praying, the thought just came to me. as like, yeah, tipping means a lot more to them than it does to you. And so, I'm, again, I'm a Dutchman. I'm wired for efficiency. But when I see that there's essentially a miracle happens, when I give someone a dollar... They receive twenty dollars that 's pretty cool because that 's actually pretty much how it is, or if it 's a dollar American, they get twenty five but for us that 's roughly twenty. So I started getting excited about this, eh now, I would start giving people five dollar bills and Again, this is a miracle happening. When they give them $5 American, they're actually receiving 125 It's It's not a real miracle. It's just how it works. But imagine that. Imagine if you could give someone $5 and they receive 100 How cool would that be? Like seeing the expression on their face. And so people would just like, I'd give them a tip and they'd give me like a fist bump. They'd like come back. They'd be, say thank you. Like they were so excited about it all the time. But what started happening out of this is I started getting some special treatment (laughs) and I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't looking for it, but the servers would always go out of their way to make sure that I was Having coffee filled up or what, whatever it might have been, and the the activity staff would like give me extra early access or like they lent me a volleyball and I was giving it back to like ah you know what you might use it tonight or tomorrow morning before we're open just just keep it we'll get it back tomorrow or whatever just so I started getting this special treatment and and that <laughs> that's actually kind of what we're talking about is giving people special treatment because of external circumstances. Now, I wanted to use that story because it was fresh, uh, but it's actually a bad example. (laughs) But it's it's showing that we can fall into traps of favoritism. That is a, a thing that can happen. And this is a really interesting topic for me. It's not something that I've ever really thought to do a sermon on before, that is favoritism. But it's in the text that we're reading today. If you're just joining us this morning or if you're joining us online, we're in the middle of a series of the book of James and it's called a faith that works. And so today we find ourselves in James 2. Now this is exciting as well. If you're using a Pew Bible, we're opening up to page 978. We've moved from 977 onto 978. That's pretty exciting. Now, so join us there if if you would. I'm going to open in prayer. Father God, we we thank you. God, we thank you that you are here in our midst. God, we thank you that you are you are working behind the scenes, that you are working in our lives, you're working in our hearts, that you're always at work. I thank you that we can join in with what you're doing in the world. And God, we can even do that in simple ways of just including people. God, help us to see the treasure that is within people. I pray this in your name. Amen. So James 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. We're actually going to conclude our reading there because if I try to preach on the rest of it, we're not going to get anywhere. So I'm just going to focus on those first four verses today. Now, a hypothetical real-life situation of this would be... uh, Some of you may know Mike Fisher. As a boy, he used to come to this church, and he went on to become an NHL star, and marry a country music star. But let's say, for the sake of imagination, that he moved back to Peterborough and came into our church. That would be kind of neat. Now, let's say he was here today and he heard the song, And Can It Be? Now, what else is cool, Ernie, is that I wrote that like two or three weeks ago to have that song in, and you actually played it today and we didn't know that. So that's, that's pretty neat as well. Let's say that song got played. Now he comes and talks to Arnie after the service and he says, ah, oh, I really liked it that you played that. And then Arnie shares that with Daniel and the two of them get together and they look up Wesley songs and they make sure that every single week that a Wesley song is being played. And because he comes in, I want to make sure that he has the best seat in the house. So I know that there's a congregant in here who tried many different places within the sanctuary to sit to find out which one has the best acoustics, which one has the best temperature regulation like or consistency. They went around and they found out where the best seat is. Now, I'm going to tell this person... I'm sorry, you've got you to gotta go sit somewhere else. That's the best seat in the house. We've got to make sure that Mike Fisher gets that seat. And then let's say that someone else is around them as they're, as they're doing communion. They find out we have the communion cups, and Carrie whispers to them, oh, I wish they had the actual elements. Someone hears that and says, like, okay, we've got to make sure that we are going to have the elements now because we want to we adhere to them. We want to make sure that they are having their boxes checked here. We would be showing them favoritism, right? We would be giving them special treatment and giving them special access and special authority based off external situ- circumstances. Now, what about the opposite? What if the opposite were to happen A couple weeks ago, my friend Simon and I were doing outreach uh, with our sons, Caleb and Caleb. And as we were doing outreach, we ran into, uh, we decided we were going to talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus to this man that was sitting on a park bench. As we got close, we noticed his clothes and his tattoos. There were a lot of sixes on them. And we felt a little bit uncomfortable, but we decided to push through anyway and share the love of Jesus with this man. And we talked to him for about an hour and 15 minutes, and he gave his life to the Lord. And since then, he's been being discipled. So this is a man that was a Satanist. He was actually a Satanist. Gave his life to the Lord, and now is being discipled. Two weeks ago, I saw him an event my friend Curtis was doing at Beavermead. And he was there at a church event. That's pretty cool. But he was wearing a shirt. And he doesn't mean to do anything by this. He's not trying to be provocative. He's not trying to do anything like that. But he was wearing a shirt that says, Demon Exorcist. Now, that's a little uncomfortable. But he's there. That's really cool. So what what would happen if he came here? What would happen? Would Would he find himself to be like Moses and everywhere he goes, the Red Sea just parts? Or would he find himself being included? Would people come and talk to him? Would people come and love on him? And, and and that's a real question because he could come here. He might come here. But what would happen if he does? I I don't want us to underestimate the value of this, of just simply going up to someone, shaking their hand, looking them in the eye. We were at, at a previous church. One day Chantel was walking by a young man, probably in his late 20s, and he was sitting in a chair out in the fellowship hall with his head down. And, and to be honest, he looked rough. But Chantel walks up to him, shakes his hand, looks him in the eye, cares for him, and has a conversation with him. Near the end of the conversation, he said, do you know that I've been here for three weeks now and you are the first person that's talked to me? But Chantel saw the value in him. And so she went after him and had a conversation with him and showed him love. And that touched his heart. I don't want to underestimate the significance that that can have. Because sometimes we can... And we don't do this intentionally, but we have a checklist in our, in our minds. Are, do these people check our boxes? Do, are they of a similar socioeconomic status? Are they of a similar age? Do we have similar hobbies or interests? Because if you were to meet someone like my new friend, chances are he is very, very different from you and he doesn't check off your boxes. But to not judge things and assess things by those external factors, but looking at the heart and caring for that and seeing the value, that's going to allow him to experience the value that God has for him as well. Don't underestimate the value of that, of a simple conversation of simply welcoming someone. So which is better or which is worse? Showing favoritism to someone who is rich and famous or excluding Someone who is very different from yourself. Now, in verse 4, when it talks about this, it says, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What is he talking about there? Is he talking about discriminating, giving favoritism, or discriminating, excluding? It's both. Both are bad because we're judging by the wrong value system. The the Fishers would actually be a really good example of that because they have a lot of things that the world values, right? They have wealth. I haven't looked up their bank statements or anything like that, but I'm assuming they're doing fine. Popularity. I mean, they they have popularity to such an extent that we actually call it fame. Talent, and they're both extremely uh, talented. Beauty, I I, honestly, if they were in here today, and if you are, I apologize, I wouldn't know what they look like, but I'm told that they're both very beautiful. (laughs) They're not in here, are they? (laughs) It'd be so awkward. Um, Have you noticed I'm looking around more than normal? And 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 they also they have possessions. These are things that the world values. Now things that the world has a difficult time embracing are things like poverty and social awkwardness or, or just awkwardness at all. When, when we judge people by any of these categories, we're judging as the world judges, and it shows, and these are evil. The, James is saying that these thoughts are evil. So what we need is we need a new value system. Because when we show favoritism, it is living in contrast to the nature of God. So how do we understand the nature of God? How do we like wouldn't wouldn't it be nice if someone were to have come to earth who could have lived perfectly and and just done everything that they did perfectly and wouldn't it be amazing if their actions and words were recorded so that we could study them and learn from them, that would be, that'd be such a gift, eh? I wish my kids were here. So they'd be like, Dad, you don't even realize. Like, that's Jesus. Jesus did that, and there's a book, the Bible. They're not here. They're, they're all at sleepovers, actually. So we can learn from the example of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? How did Jesus treat people? He he didn't treat people as you talked about earlier in, in Ephesians. He didn't treat people as their sins may have deserved. He didn't treat people because of the negative things that they had done or were doing. He he didn't treat people as he hoped that they would someday be. He saw them as restored. And he treated them as though they were treasure. I'm going to say that again. Jesus didn't treat people as he hoped that they would one day be. He saw them as restored and he treated them as treasure. There's this phrase in mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 4. It says, treasure in jars of clay. This is actually a beautiful thing. Because what jars of clay represents is human frailty. It represents human imperfection. This, our our frail, Sinful human expression that happens. But that's not what Jesus focused on. Jesus focused on the treasure that was in that jar of clay. He treated people as though they were the treasure. He didn't ignore the jar of clay. He didn't not rebuke people, but in showing them the value that they had in illuminating the treasure that was within them, they were able to become that a closer and more true version of themselves. He didn't avoid difficult conversations. He had them, but when he had those conversations with either people that he met or his close disciples, because there was rebuke in there too, it was always with value. He always treated people with their value, not with contempt, not with disgust, with value. And when they experienced and felt that value, they were transformed. Jesus treated people very differently than how we treat them. Now, We understand a bit about the purpose, a bit more about the purpose of why Jesus came to earth in why God sent him. And and we know about why God sent him when we look at John 3. In verse 16 and 17, it says that he, he didn't do it out of judgment. He didn't come to condemn the world or to judge the world. But he did it out of love. God did this out of compassion, eh? It was out of compassion, of seeing and knowing the treasure that he has placed within us. And out of love, he gave. And he gave extravagantly as the gift of Jesus, not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to be a light a light that shines in the darkness and to be the true light of heaven. God loved so much that he gave. Jesus throughout his life and throughout his ministry would have come in contact with people who were hard to love people who were hard to deal with, people who were in habitual sins, people who were all about their own agenda, people who had social awkwardness. Jesus ran into those people all the time. And I don't know about you, but I run into people like that myself. Years ago, I was on an advisory board with someone that I had a difficult time with. And so I prayed, (laughs) because I didn't like that. I prayed that Jesus could do something about it, that he could change my heart. And it didn't happen instantly. But as I got to know the person more, I began to see outside the heart exterior, and I began to see the inner treasure. I began to learn more about her heart. I began to learn more about her desires and the way that God had worked in her life. And over time, it wasn't an instant thing, but over time, I began to feel genuine love for her. We all run into people who are hard to love. We live in a fallen world, and a lot of us have picked up some, some, some ticks, some imperfections along the way. And if you're looking for perfection, you're, you're not going to find it here. The church is full of imperfect people and, and God wants it that way. He wants it to be full of imperfect people that are growing and learning and becoming more holy, but we're not going to make it just yet. So what happens when you run into someone who is hard to love? Well, it's important to ask God to give you his heart for them. It's important for you to ask God to give you his eyes for them. And that you'll know when you're seeing progress in your life, when you start to feel compassion I think compassion has got to be one of the first things that you feel. You begin to feel compassion for them. And as time goes, you'll begin to see the treasure within the jar of clay. Despite their human imperfections, besides their human frailty, you'll begin to see the treasure. And isn't that the kind of world that you want to live in? we're we're never going to reach this perfection. But what would the world look like when people saw value in each other? When people saw value in the people around them and they had genuine compassion for people who were very different from them, from people who didn't necessarily click off all of their boxes of similarity, but people Went after, cared for, and loved those that were around them. It's not the kind of world that you would want to live in. God has called you, as Arnie read earlier, his masterpiece. That's how Jesus saw people. He saw them as restored, he saw them as a masterpiece. We get to be co-laborers, co-heirs in bringing out that masterpiece in other people, people that can't see it themselves that they're a masterpiece. That's what he's calling you to. Part of our church's vision mission statement is to see the whole church come together to see those outside of the church come return to faith. And what if one of the most powerful and easy ways that you could do that. It's just to reach out your hand and say hi and just to welcome someone and to love someone who is very different from yourself, to see the treasure in them, to see the value in them. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, we... We thank you for your word. We do thank you for the perfect example that is Jesus Christ. God, help us to love like you love. Help us to receive the mind of Christ. Help us to exchange our value system for your value system. May we value the things that you value like love and generosity and faith humility. God, thank you that you don't just leave us, but that we are being continually transformed by you, by your Spirit. May we love like you love. Amen.